the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. The nation of Israel had sinned against God after the victory of Jericho. Achan had stolen items from the city that were meant to be destroyed according to God's command. When Israel went to battle the city of Ai, they experienced defeat because of Achan's secret sin. God was merciful and called the nation to move forward, even after their failure. It is time to fight the city of Ai, but in God's way and under his clear commands. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Joshua is victory in Jesus. Christ said, I'm come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And so this is the life he purchased for us on the cross. And so how do we live that life? We've been learning that in Joshua. And many of the different ways told Joshua, get into the fight. Be strengthened. Be courageous. Let me take the lead. We have learned so many lessons about how to experience that victorious life Christ won for us through the cross. So last week we learned about the problem in Jericho, right? Where Achan stole the stuff. So we learned that secret sin will keep us from that victory. So after Israel deals with the secret sin, God is not angry with them anymore. That's how chapter 7 ends. It says the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. So he's not angry with them anymore for violating their part of the deal. And with God's favor now restored, it's time for Israel to return to Ai, the place of defeat, but do it the right way this time. So chapter 8, we're going to make that return. It says, and the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed, Take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai, for see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and her king as you did unto Jericho and her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay you an ambush for the city behind it. Here we see this little introduction before Joshua begins to set the military in array to fight this battle. And I love how it starts off here, before we even get into the battle, how we're going to do things the right way, how they're going to do it differently this time. And the first thing, if if we're going to do things the right way, if we're going to experience the the victory Christ has for us, we have to do things the right way. Otherwise, you won't. And the first key or first step to doing things the right way is you need to understand your position in Christ. He comes to him before he gives any instructions, and he says, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. The word there, dismayed, is an interesting word. It's a little bit different than the word we've been using to describe, you know, how the Canaanites felt. The word here, it doesn't just mean to have a feeling of discouragement, you know, because you're afraid or you're panicked or you're confused, but it means have those feelings because something has been shattered. You ever had it where just things were smooth sailing and all of a sudden a curveball comes in and just all that is shattered and now you don't know what to do? That's kind of where Joshua was when the Lord hit him with that information that someone has taken something from Jericho. He was floored. 
everything that was going right. They were good with God. They had his favor. Now in his mind, it's all shattered. And so the Lord tells him, he says, don't be afraid, neither be now dismayed. Don't look at it that way because that's not the case. And then there's a colon, which means God pauses before he says, take all the the men of war. God pauses because Joshua must understand this before they move forward. He needs to understand this. See, Joshua was so stunned that when God told him that someone stole something from Jericho, but he wasn't just stunned, he was afraid. We did exactly what God told us not to do. How can God continue to give us his favor after we violated the most basic and clear command that he gave to us? So even after dealing with Achan, Joshua believes their favor with God is shattered. Maybe God won't wipe them out, but he certainly won't give us the rest of the land. And so God puts all of those fears, all of those worries to rest before any instructions about how to defeat Ai. Why is that? Why does that come first? Because even if you understand God's instructions, you won't be able to carry them out correctly if you don't understand your position in Christ. You won't. I grew up in my young Christian faith in a church that believed the word of God, taught the scriptures, it was good. But most of it focused on what I'm supposed to do for God. I was never in doubt about what I was supposed to do for God. I understood repentance. I understood obedience. I understood faithfulness. I understood tithing. I understood serving. I understood holiness. I understood all those things. But man, my life wasn't looking like it. (laughs) I knew what I needed to do. But like Paul who says, I consent with my mind that the law is good, but the power to do it, I don't find it. There were no resources in and of myself, no strength in my own energies and my own efforts, my own abilities to actually perform it. What happens then, of course, is condemnation sets in. Well, you must not really be saved. God doesn't love you. God's done with you. You've gone too far. You've sinned too many times. You've blown it too many times. God's done with you. All those things begin to set in, and and so you just kind of either continue to just walk around stumbling and in condemnation, or you give up. And that will keep us from the victory Christ has for us, even though we're legitimate children of God. And so the Lord, he wants Joshua to understand, I am not upset at you. You have my favor. Go forward. Don't be afraid. Paul spends the entire first three chapters of the book of Ephesians telling us who we are in Christ, right? He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is at the start, verse three of Ephesians one. After he says the greetings, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ and this is what that means. Spends three chapters telling us. And at the end of those three chapters, after he's established who we are in Christ, what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, it's at that moment when he begins to say, now, you know who you are. Now act appropriately. Wherefore, he says, let us walk worthy of our calling, the calling wherewith Christ has called us. You have the name Christian. Now live up to your name. This is how you do it. So we have to understand what God's done for us before we can try to go out and obey his instructions. So do you understand tonight that God loves you? Do you understand that he's forgiven all your sin, that he's for you, that he wants to bless you because you're in Christ, you're accepted in the beloved, you've been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, a joint heir with him, you who are far away have been brought near. All of those things are true about you if you've come to Christ. So Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Things aren't shattered. I'm not done with you yet. Now next we see the second step to doing things the right way is not just understanding who we are in Christ, but we need to follow what we already know we're supposed to do before trying to move on to new ventures. Follow what we already know we're supposed to do before trying to go into new ventures. He says, I want you to take all the people of war with you and arise 
and go up to Ai. The word here, all, of course, it means all. And that's a direct contrast to the spies' recommendation last time. Remember, they came back and they said, it's just a small town. You don't need to send the whole army up. Let's conserve our strength. Just send a few soldiers. And of course, Joshua sends a few soldiers and they get whooped. Israel didn't get proper instructions from God about Ai the last time because they'd been disobedient with the old instructions concerning Jericho. I don't doubt that Joshua went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do we do? But the Lord was saying, you already know what you need to do and it hasn't been done. So we're not going to talk about Ai until you finish Jericho. When they didn't and they went up on their own, they didn't go in the wisdom of God. I can't expect God to give me wisdom for a new venture in faith when I've ignored the clear instructions he's already given me. It's kind of like pondering whether God wants you to go on the church mission trip while you're in the middle of robbing the bank. <laughs> Seriously. I, I mean, I know that's an extreme example, and I'm using it for clarity. But I mean, we, we do the similar thing. I knew a guy that would go into his prayer closet and pray for God to kill his wife because she was such a bad wife. Lord, you know how much I suffer. You know how much I struggle. He was an abusive, violent man. But what are you thinking? God's leading doesn't work that way. You know, he doesn't whisk us away to some new adventure when we haven't obeyed him in our current task. So be faithful where you are. That's how you can hear clearly when God has a new task for you. Anytime I got some confangled idea in my head, and I know I'm not really being obedient to what God's put in front of me, I know that's not the Lord because that's not how he works. Anytime I go to the Lord, Lord, can we talk about this? And the Lord's like, well, actually, I'd like to talk to you about what I've been trying to talk to you about for the last month, but you're not listening. Well, I don't want to talk about that, Lord. I'd like to talk about this. The Lord goes, no, I want to talk about this. And we're not going anywhere else until we talk about it. And if I'm stubborn, I can go around in circles for a while. But it always comes back to the thing God put his finger on. I want this, Will. I don't want to give you that yet, Lord. Okay, but that's what I want. So we're not going further, are we? No, we're not. (laughs) Now, the command to go up to Ai would require Israel to muster their courage because it went horribly last time. So at this point, then, God gives Joshua promise. So if we're going to do things the right way, we got to understand who we are in Christ. We need to follow the instructions that we know we're supposed to do before moving on to new ventures. But thirdly, we need to trust in God's promises. Look at what he says here at the end of verse 1. He says, see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai. See means you must pay attention to this, and it's a command. It's imperative. You must pay attention to this, Joshua. I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his lands, and you shall do unto Ai and to her king as you did unto Jericho and her king. You need to pay attention to this, Joshua, not the past failure, not the horrible results. Focus on my promise. Focus on my promise. Listen, if you're here tonight and you've had failures, do not let those past failures be an obstacle to your future obedience. I can't tell you how many times the Lord said, well, I want, I want you to do this. And I go, God, every time I do that, I blow it. I don't get it right. I fail. And, you know, and it's not like the Lord's going, oh, that's right. I forgot. Okay, let's skip that. The Lord doesn't do that. Oh, yeah. Ah, Michael, why didn't you remind me of that? Gabriel, where were you on that one? You know, we dropped the ball here. You're fine. You're free to go, Will. Never. The Lord always tells me the same thing. I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. And I'm going to give you victory. So go out and be obedient to me. Yes, you're weak. (laughs) Yes, you messed up in the past. But when you have clear instructions from God, you need to move forward in his faithful promise. Something David said in Psalm 57 verse 2. I had never seen it before, and and I was in Israel, and, and one of the pastors was teaching on it. But David says this about the Lord. He says in Psalm 57, 2, it actually wrote next to my Bible. I do this on special moments. I, I write the point. This was kind of David's philosophy of life. And then I wrote Israel 2017. I do that in my Bible a lot when God really impacts me in some way. And I encourage you to do the same thing because sometimes you need to be reminded. But David said in Psalm 57, 2, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. 
Do you know when David wrote that? He wrote that when he was in the cave of Abdullah. He wrote that when he was farthest away from actually seeing the reality of the anointing of Samuel for his kingship. He's on the run. His family's in hiding in Moab. He's alone pretty much. But he says this, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. What a cool philosophy of life. Things are a mess right now, but I will cry out to the Lord because he's the one who finishes the work. He's the one who gets it done. David later in life said something very similar at the end of Psalm 138, verse 8. He said, the Lord will perfect or complete that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. That's why, because you love me. David's philosophy of life was that, Lord, I'm going to cry out to you because you're going to perform all these things for me. You're the one that takes care of me. You're the one that gets the job done. Not about me. And the Lord will complete that which concerns me. Why? Because you never stop loving me. You never stop loving me. Maybe God's telling you to do something and it's, you think, Lord, I'm just going to blow it again. Why even bother? Well, God will perform all things for you. He'll complete that which concerns you. We see the New Testament, right? He which has begun a good work in you. How does it finish? Complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus, right? He will complete. You're going to break the tape, guys. And he's going to present you before his throne, faultless, with great joy. Not faultless like, well, he's just faultless because of me. and not really excited about him being here. Faultless with great joy. One of the biggest hindrances, I think, to experiencing the victory we have in Christ is our refusal to operate in grace. It's been for me. It's almost always that. It almost always comes down to that. My refusal to operate in grace, to keep insisting that I've got to somehow measure up to God, earn his favor somehow, you know, be good enough for him to bless me, be good enough for him to love me, be good enough for him to want to use me. You name it, fill in the blank. Do you know David wasn't a man after God's own heart because he got everything right all the time? Talk about a crazy life. Honestly, if we, we put David up there, probably end up as a, a really lewd and, and atrocious HBO series. Seriously. I mean, it's not pretty when you look at a lot of things in his life. It's a lot of mistakes along the way. Some of them just common mistakes that people make, and some of them horrible, horrible things. David was a man after God's own heart because he had a heart of repentance when he did blow it. When, when the Lord confronted him with it, he would repent. He'd confess it. He wouldn't blame anybody else. The Lord, I, it's all on me. I strayed. And then he moved forward 100% in grace. David, one of the craziest stories, after he sins with Bathsheba and she gets pregnant and, of course, baby gets sick after it's born and dies. And David's fasting and praying and mourning as the, the baby's dying and crying out to God for mercy because he knows this is his fault. When the Lord takes the baby home, the Bible says David goes, takes a shower, goes out and eats. And somebody came to him and said, David, I mean, the whole time that the baby was still alive, you were like in mourning, and then, but now everything's fine? I don't get it. And David said, you don't understand something. He can't come to me, but I will go to him someday. He said, I've made things right with God. There's no use for me pining now. I didn't do that because I felt guilty and I just, you know, I was hoping maybe God would see my guilt and maybe do something nice for me. I did it because that's the right thing to do is to cry out to God for mercy. And now God answered it a different way. For me, it's just to move forward with the Lord because I know I'm forgiven. There's nothing else for me to mourn about. Crazy, isn't it? But he got it. <laughs> he got it. A man after God's own heart. That's why. Not because he was great or did all these awesome things or he was always holy. Let's not imitate David's mistakes, but let's be people after God's heart, right? Amen? 
Now we go back to Joshua chapter 8, and we see the last way to do things right. You say, wait a second, well, it's it's verse 2 still. Well, most of this is laying the groundwork of how to do things right, and then Israel does it. So number one, you need to know who you are in Christ. Number two, you need to follow what you already know you're supposed to do. Number three, trust in God's promises. And here, number four, you need to follow God's instructions. He says to him, only, in the middle of verse 2, the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourselves. It's going to be just like Jericho with these two exceptions, all right? You can take plunder from the city of Ai for yourselves. So you can carry off the goods of the people you've conquered this time, and and the city is going to be defeated by setting an ambush. It's interesting because you think, well, why does God need an ambush? Well, he doesn't, but this is how he's going to do it this time. They have all these huge army compared to Ai. Why not just overwhelm them? Well, God's not just interested in victory. He's interested in preserving his people. And sure, Israel could throw superior numbers at Ai's 13-foot-thick wall, but at what cost? The safest way to do this would be to get AI soldiers to come outside the wall to fight. And this was God's plan to accomplish that. Follow God's instruction. That's the right way to do things. Now, Joshua, now he's got to live that out. So verse 3. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be ye all ready. Joshua was from Florida. Be you all ready. The idea here is Israel's best fighting men would be selected for this ambushing force. That's what the phrase mighty men of valor means here. It means the elite forces, their most elite soldiers, their best fighting men. And these guys, they would travel out and they would lie in wait. That means to hide against the city, which means near or toward the city, but it says behind it which means to the west side of it. Israel was on the east side, so going behind the city would be the west side. And they were to stand there the entire time in formation, ready to fight. Now, they didn't know when the time would come for them to fight. We're going to learn later on that Joshua was going to raise his spear, and that would be the signal. So at this point, they just got to be ready to go, not knowing when go time is, just always being ready. Kind of, kind of like we're supposed to be with Christ, right? The Bible says he's made us a kingdom of priests. We're those mighty men and women of valor, right? You ladies are the elite soldiers of Christ's army, right? That's what we are. And we're supposed to always be ready. Always be ready for Christ. Waiting for the trumpet to blow. That's what they're to do. Joshua's part, verse 5. And I and all the people that are with me, we will approach unto the city. They're going to go up to the city like they're going to lay siege to it. Verse 5. All the people that are with me will approach unto the city. And it shall come to pass when they come out against us like they did the first time we fought them, that we will flee before them. And I love what Joshua says here. For they will come out after us. He has so much confidence now in God's plan. They will come out after us. He says, And we will flee before them until we have drawn them out from the city, for they will say, hey, they flee before us just like the first time. That's why we're going to flee before them. Now, you might be thinking, well, why would AI leave the safety of their walls when they have an inferior force? I mean, if they're out there, you know, and they're this massive force compared to AI, why would they leave the city to do anything? Well, because they whooped Israel last time, right? They beat them bad last time. And you know, when God's people try to fight in their own strength, they look absurdly weak. I don't know about you, that's how I am. I'm a, I'm a mess. You know, here I go out to fight in the Lord's army, you know, but in my own strength, I'm just this little peewee going out there. It's just mockery. It'd be like me going out to fight Goliath if God didn't call me to fight Goliath. When Goliath said, what, do you send out my flea or dog? Do you send out fleas to attack me? Well, if I'm fighting my own strength, I am. And that gave confidence to Israel's enemies. We see time and time again that would happen throughout Israel's history where because they'd go out in their own strength, their enemies would go, oh, okay, really? And then they'd whoop them. 
AI is feeling pretty cocky right now. They're feeling like, yeah, we got these guys. So Joshua knows they'll take the bait. And when they do, the ambushers are to strike, verse 7. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city. Take possession of the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be when you have captured the city that you shall set the city on fire. You've got to go find the king. Any important individuals there who can rally forces there. He says, when you take the city, then you will set the city on fire. According to all the commandment of the Lord shall you do. See, I have commanded you. The reason they're going to set fire to the city is so that the soldiers of Ai won't have anywhere to fall back to. They'll be caught between the hammer and the anvil. Good plan, but will it work? (laughs) Well, verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them forth, the 30,000 men. And they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. So the smaller army goes west to get into position. There's a wadi to the northwest of Ai, which forms an almost perpendicular wall to the rock quarry. Remember last time that Israel fled? They fled into the rock quarry and they were sitting ducks for Ai spearmen. And so this wadi runs kind of perpendicular to it. And it kind of provides this perfect wall where you can't see into the wadi because of the quarry. So it makes an ideal hiding spot. That's probably where they were. And so Joshua, he, he stays at night with the people. And then early in the morning, it says he rose up and he numbered the people. That's not really an accurate translation. It means he mustered the people. He put them into ranks, got the army moving. And then he went up, he and the elders of Israel, in front of the people on the way to Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, they went up and they drew near and they came before the city and they pitched on the north side of Ai. It would be more of a mountainous area, a better defensive position. But there was a valley between them and Ai. So there's this valley down there, which would be an inferior position. Israel doesn't camp there for now. We'll see that that becomes part of the bait. So Joshua here, he moves the army. They're now there looking like they're going to lay siege to the city of Ai. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 12. And Joshua took about 5,000 men. So now this is a third force. And he set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. This is similar to where the other ambushes are, the 30,000. But these guys are closer to Bethel. And we'll learn about why they're there in a second. They're there to cut off aid from the city of Bethel because that would create some issues for Israel's plan. And, And I love this because with God's favor again, Joshua's now making some good military decisions instead of last time. The the spies come in and go, it's just a small town. We should just send a few people to go take it. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Now, now they're being wise, following God's instructions. They're not making foolish military decisions now. When we fall and fail, it can be easy to think God's love and affection towards us has waned. But this is never true. Romans 8 says there is nothing that could separate us from the love of God. He longs to be merciful and to bless us. All we must do is repent of our sins and trust His word. He is who He says He is, merciful and gracious, abundantly pardoning. Don't let fear or failure keep you from moving forward into all that God has promised. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.